I really care about trying to make an impact that helps human beings. There's a great quote from a, a poet called Rainier Maria Rilke. He said, the purpose of life is to be defeated by greater and greater things. I think that Decent is a life mission. If I'm doing this in 20 to 30 years, I'll be delighted by it. If we get knocked out because this country gets its act together and goes to single payer, I'll accept that. There are a lot of things that could happen, but to me, it's about working on a problem that's really worthy of my team's time. Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, we dive into the healthcare industry with Nick Soman. He's the CEO and founder of Decent, which is a health insurance company that's using blockchain technology to be able to create pricing transparency in the healthcare industry. If you've ever wondered how the healthcare industry works and how we can fix it, this is a great episode. Stay tuned. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Tell us a bit about what you're working on. Hey, Trent. Thanks for having me on Hacker Noon Podcast. Uh, I'm Nick Soman, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, and I'm building affordable health insurance for freelancers. And if it wasn't you, and this wasn't the Hacker Noon Podcast, this is the part where I would say affordable health insurance for freelancers and something, something blockchain. But because <laughs> of who you are and what you know, and sort of this, this audience, I'll be really happy to talk about what we're actually doing. I think we've got a pretty compelling, pretty real use case um, that will allow us to start with affordable health insurance for freelancers. We're on track to launch in Austin, Texas next year as a starting point. We'll be using blockchain technology for a variety of methods to deliver on our value proposition of affordable, transparent, and flexible care. And the end state goal is a decentralized protocol for health insurance so that different people around the world can spin up their own health insurance pools. People who are smarter than me have told me what we're doing is we're building a modern healthcare co-op, and then we're going to make it really easy for other people to build their own modern healthcare co-ops. So you're working actually on a protocol that is this going to be based on blockchain technology or how does the blockchain play into this? Understanding kind of how we're tackling the root cause of the problem, I think, will be a natural bridge into blockchain. Uh, my parents ran a gigantic HMO that served about 650,000 members up in the Pacific Northwest called Group Health Cooperative. And they were both family practice doctors for several decades. My dad would actually retire as the chief medical executive of Group Health, which means he was in charge of the doctor side. And there was also an insurance side. And even as a kid, I can remember he would come home and he'd say, you know, my counterparts on the insurance side, I don't know how much they care about the patient. And so I was aware that there was sort of a tension even back then. Now, you and I had a little bit of a chat earlier about health insurance, and you yeah. told me something pretty interesting. Are you willing to tell this to the group too? Yeah. So I actually don't have health insurance. So uh, I've actually been dealing with some you know, lingering health stuff, and I had to make the decision to actually spend my money on actual health care. So <laughs> the doctor's that actually were able to treat me uh, and the treatments that I started exploring, I had to pay for out of pocket. They don't accept insurance. It made more sense to actually spend my money on my actual health care, um, you know, literal care for my health uh, versus spending money on a healthcare system that actually didn't even recognize my diagnosis and refused to treat me. I'm really sorry to hear that without at all going into details of your diagnosis. Would you agree that one of the reasons you don't have health care is because health insurance rather is that it's not affordable for you as technically a freelancer? 
yeah, it's both not affordable and then the system itself and how it's set up and how the insurance dictates what is and isn't a disease or, you know, the criteria and the diagnostic criteria, like, why does the insurance company, why does the government have any say in any of this? These should be decisions that are being made between doctors and patients, not an insurance company. I, I couldn't agree more uh, to the point that, I mean, I feel like it's as if we talked about what we're building. I think what you're talking about is the lack of affordability, but also the lack of flexibility, which mm -hmm. is around getting coverage for different types of treatments that actually work, but are not sort of the one size fits all pharma dipped model of traditional insurance and also transparency, informational transparency, understanding the data that's provided for you, data transparency of actually being able to find pricing and quality data and even written transparency being able to read and understand the writing. An amazing stat that we pulled is the average insurance plan is written in college plus reading levels. The average American reads at a seventh or eighth grade level. So you can imagine it's really hard without good data to make good decisions. The thing that we discovered that's insidious and that is behind all of these problems and that we're looking to solve fundamentally with decent. And I, I don't want to, you know, jump in your shit, but basically the reason why you can't afford your health insurance is because every core stakeholder that's involved in both the delivery and the financing of care makes more money when the total cost of care goes up. Yeah. Every single person except the patient in this country, and in some cases the employers, since we've got this weird thing where the employer's providing care for a lot of individuals, is making more money when the cost of care goes up. So this is a thing where you look at healthcare and you go, okay, well, why can't I find transparent pricing data? Why does it take so long to get an appointment? Why, when I sit in the waiting room, am I filling out the same damn sheet, you know, for the hundredth time in my life? And it's because these are all decisions that have actually been made in service of the profit motive. What we're looking to solve at Decent is that unlike traditional insurance companies that make more money when the cost of care goes up, we found a way to align incentives so that the entire network benefits both medically and financially when the total cost of care is kept under control and the patients are healthy. And before I dig in a little bit more, there's a specific mechanic at work that's sort of interesting uh, that, I, that I'm talking about when I say that insurance companies in particular, who are the biggest player in the system because they hold the money, which as a fellow crypto fan, you can sort of see this. Yeah. One. Sounds like a middleman. Sounds like misaligned incentives and a big rent seeker. When it's uh, $400 for a little bit of saline solution, which is literally just water and salt. It, it's, and it's, and it's, it's brutal. And it's a medical system in the United States. Like you can literally pay hundreds of dollars for something that you can get from a sink and a bottle of salt and put it together. And, and it's intentional because they, they, yeah. they make more money when you get sick and when the cost of care goes up. There's something called a medical loss ratio. And a lot of people don't understand how this works. So I just want to spell it out really clearly. Explain it. Medical loss ratio dictates that a traditional insurance company has to spend 80 cents out of every dollar they take in on premiums to pay for care, which sounds like it makes sense. It stops them from just taking all the money and keeping it. But what that means is that in absolute terms, the only way for them to make more dollars is if the total cost of care goes up because they're taking a fixed cut that includes admin costs of a growing pie. Now I have a five-year-old son at home. And if I told him, hey Boone, you can have 20% of any donut at the bakery he's going to go to the counter and he's going to pick the biggest one. Even he knows that that's how this stuff's going to work. And so at Decent, what we figured out a way to do is align incentives between members and the network itself so that everybody benefits when the cost of care is kept under control and the patients are healthy. Because we're going to be talking about crypto, I think it behooves both of us to say, this is not investment advice. 
we're not, you know, 100% sure how every single detail is going to work out yet. And I don't want to be claiming otherwise, but I do want to be able to have an open and friendly conversation with you. That's not boring. So um, is that, is that cool as subtext? Yeah. I love the disclaimer because you know, when it comes to crypto and when it comes to blockchain and when it comes to economic models, you have to try this stuff and actually see if it works. Yes. Um, so you might go through 20, 30, 100 iterations of what your token economic system looks like. You might be tweaking things once you have more data, two, three years, four, maybe even 10 years down the road. Um, so, you know, that's, to me, that's normal. Um, obviously, I've studied blockchain. I used to run a blockchain podcast yeah. before this Hacker Noon podcast. So, like, I get that. But, you know, it may sound a little bit risky to the average person. But at the same time, we're creating new economic systems. We're, we're trying to solve problems. And to be able to solve those problems, sometimes you have to screw up a little bit. Um, and you need that wiggle room to be able to iterate and, you know, find the right solution and find the right numbers and the right math. And you can't always predict what's going to happen once you start practicing something in reality. I love the way you put that. And I would even add one more filter to it, which is we talk at Decent a lot about earning the right to even solve those problems. Mm -hmm. Our purpose is to deliver more affordable health insurance. We don't even think of ourselves as a blockchain company or a crypto company. We are a healthcare company. We are a health insurance company. We're bearing risk. And if we don't deliver more affordable healthcare uh, to people, starting in America and eventually worldwide, then we don't deserve to exist. So we look at blockchain as a technology that we can use along with other technologies in service of that goal. But we are very focused right now on our path forward, which is, let's, let's call it what it is. We are building a centralized, regulator-approved, risk-bearing insurance company in part because we think the best way to understand the vulnerabilities of the Death Star is to build one yourself. <laughs> and in part, so we can really get to know how the core functions work so that over time we can responsibly decentralize. Uh, I was in the IR at a great place called Foundation Capital, which actually funded our pre-seed round before this. And I saw a lot of crypto projects that were philosophically so exciting. And I'm sure you've seen some of these, but they would make arguments like, okay, and on the third day, the nurse is gonna teach the doctor how to use the branded cryptocurrency. <laughs> and there's at least two problems with that. One, I grew up with doctors. I try not to teach them shit. It's very hard to do. And two, much of this technology isn't ready for prime time yet. And so our job at, in production in a world where the number one thing we need to make sure we do is take good care of the people that trust money with us to make sure they get the health care they expect is just to make sure that the health insurance part of this works the right way. Mm. And over time, we've come up with some really engaging mechanics I'd love to talk about that create uh, rewards for people who make choices that lead to healthy outcomes. Uh, I'd love to give you one example of that, but I also don't want to uh, steamroll. Hey, oh, you got a great tech story you want to get published? Maybe something about bots taking over Twitter or how Bitcoin actually works? Or maybe you just have a story about how to build a great software, or a great team. Get your expertise published on Hacker Noon. Email us stories at hackernoon.com and a real human will review your submission go ahead give some examples so you're thinking about building a reward-based system into your health insurance program so i'm just going to assume here so is this like you know if you eat a healthy diet if you work out if you do things that are actually going to keep you healthy you know, there's some kind of reward for that or actually maybe some discount to your health insurance or how does that, it that's, that's definitely a piece of it. You're picking up what I'm throwing down, but let me just sketch a couple core mechanics for us first. Yeah. So what I told you is that we found a way 
to make sure everybody benefits when the cost of care is kept under control and people are healthy. Here's how we're going to do that. We're using a new model called the association health plan model that will allow us to initially target freelancers and freelancers. They tend to be young. They tend to be male. I'm a relatively liberal human being. I guess I can be honest <laughs> about this and say, I'm not going to be happy until we've delivered on our promise of affordable healthcare for all, which is literally the mission statement of the company, but we have to start somewhere. And these, uh, Skilled freelancers tend to be crypto friendly. They tend to be early adopters. They tend to be healthy. It's a good group for us to start to serve. Plus, they're buying their own insurance, which means, and I've been in this camp, I was paying more for health insurance for my family of four in the Bay Area than for rent for a while, which is totally broken. And we're taking these rising premiums on the chin. And by serving that group first, we'll be able to uh, serve them profitably we're working with actuaries to figure out the exact number, but it's going to be more affordable when they can get on the exchanges. We're offering comprehensive insurance. We're not denying anyone with pre-existing conditions. We're starting in the Austin, Texas area. Serve this group profitably. You take that profit and fundamentally, and I want to talk not about mechanics that are specific, but more about the goals of the system. You can take that profit and push it into the token value. And more importantly, it's not us doing that. It's the network doing that such that the token can appreciate when there's profit in the system. You can then use the appreciating token to reward additional choices and behaviors that keep people healthy and create more profit in the system. And it is partly what you said. It's partly, you know, along with new tracking technologies, uh, my CTO was an MIT Media Lab PhD, whose PhD was sponsored by the Red Sox to build a distributed sensor network to evaluate the perfect pitch for the Red Sox. So he's big on wearable technology. We're looking at all that stuff. There's some lower hanging fruit. I'm going to give you an example. You and I are now skilled freelancers in the Austin, Texas market. And unfortunately, I get in a snowboarding accident and I need to get an MRI. So I'm going to go to a place in Austin and I get an MRI and they charge me 2000 bucks, which is on the high side, but it's totally, this happens all the time. Like any other insurance company, we're going to get that claim. We're going to assess that it's valid. We're going to pay it out. Unlike other insurance companies, we're going to take that price. We're going to take that provider. We're going to take that procedure and we're going to take that date. And we're going to post it up to a directory. So we're starting to have transparent pricing about specific procedures. Now you're going to come online, you're going to need MRI, and you're going to go to a different provider and you're going to get it for a thousand bucks. And we're going to compare the price you paid to the prior local average. And we're going to give you, call it 20% of the difference. These numbers are getting specified as we speak. Mm. You're going to get $200 worth of token in real time at the same time as the claim is paid out because you got care for a thousand bucks versus my 2000. Now let's add just a third person to the mix. My sister, Christina, she's an MRI needing freelancer in Texas. She goes and she goes to a different provider. She gets a thousand dollar MRI. We're going to compare the thousand she paid to the prior local average, which at this point is 1500. She's going to get 20% of the Delta. She's going to get $100. And what we're doing here is a couple things. One, we're creating downward price pressure and we're creating uh, rewarded price discovery. I guess that's one way to put it. So whether or not you know about this price directory, you can be rewarded for getting care that's lower than the prior local average. Over time, we'll obviously be adding quality indexes as well. Uh, but for stuff like MRI, it's pretty safe. An MRI is an MRI. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that we're doing is we're aligning incentives with our members. So everybody benefits when the cost of care is kept in check. And to the extent that the network is healthy, we will be able to fund expansion into new geographies and demographics to be able to serve folks above and beyond kind of the initial healthy freelancers who are our target market. So basically you're building a reward system to be able to incentivize people to get cheaper care. 
And it's not necessarily that they're getting worse care. I mean, an MRI is an MRI. Mm -hmm. um, it's insane that you can go to one facility, pay for the exact same technology, the exact same machine, and the price point is different. Um, it can be 13 times as much. There are literally hospitals in San Francisco that will charge you 13 times what another one would charge. This, this skew is ridiculous. And obviously, you know, quality data is important, and we have plans to get that into the model as well. But just starting out with, let's take this data and make it available in a way that it hasn't been before with the appropriate metadata so you can say, okay, this deal's available for decent members, this deal's available for Blue Cross members. Let's take it one step further if we can. Let's put all of that information on an accessible blockchain and make it API accessible for anybody who wants to see it. For me, this is really about setting information free. Because I would argue, and I think you're probably smarter than me on this stuff, but you know, give me a minute. There are only three use cases that I've seen that blockchain has really proven it's ready for today. One is being a slow, clunky data store for controversial data that needs to be non-tamperable. And we're using that for price, which is really needed and necessary and, and missing in healthcare. The second is simple trigger smart contract delivered incentives. And we'll be using that in conjunction with price as well as other mechanics so that if you refer someone to our system and instead of us having to pay a huge number on Google AdWords to acquire a new member, you've made a referral and we're able to reward one or both parties in a way that's like everything we do, fully legally compliant. We can actually end up ahead in terms of more profit and growth created for the system while rewarding you directly. And then the last piece is, yeah, if you do things that are provable that keep you healthy, uh, then we'll be able to reward you for that. I've talked to a couple other uh, blockchain startups that are actually working on different components of this. So, you know, I've talked to a wellness company that was working on a wellness solution where they were doing like some of the biometric data tracking and all of that and writing it to a blockchain and creating a ward system around that. You know, combining these ideas and then wrapping them around health insurance, there's a logical application there, especially since the legality of not having price transparency like isn't really an issue. Like <laughs> insurance companies just don't give you the data because they didn't have a mechanism and they didn't have an incentive to give you the data. So it's not like it's illegal to know that, you know, hey, this guy's charging $1,000 less down the street for an MRI. This is information that should have been transparent and should have been built into the system from the beginning. Like, I could not agree with you more that it should be, Trent. You're giving certain folks in the stakeholder uh, ecosystem too much credit. There actually are contracts that some of these folks will try to get others to sign, dictating that this information cannot be shared by those entities which is in fact why a crowdsourced approach where people are actually submitting their own real claims, having not signed one of those BS contracts onto a public blockchain where anybody can see it. This is the way around a lot of the graft and BS that happens in this industry. And one of the things that we need to do is stay independent and make sure we're not, you know, idiotically signing our way into BS contracts like that. But people are, people are actively trying to prevent this information from getting out there. And honestly, as a hacker at heart, that drives me crazy. That's as much about what we're trying to do as anything else. We believe that we can work with these other projects because ultimately if we create an incentive system that rewards everybody in the network, including us, when the network is healthy, we become agnostic as to which technologies to adopt and we don't want to build everything. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to go headfirst into EMRs. There's lots of smart people working on that problem. But we can absolutely offer a strong incentive for when somebody diabetic joined the pool. We say, okay, if you choose to make your information available, we can make better offers for you because we know that by staying healthy, you can contribute meaningfully, more meaningfully than the average healthy person, to the long-term health of yourself and to this pool. And so to get the incentive part right 
and the last piece, and I'll come back to it. There's a lot of projects out there that are imagining a world where everything is decentralized and can be done tomorrow. We're literally building a risk-bearing entity because we think that this is the right way to understand how to play chess rather than checkers and how to strategically and responsibly decentralize over time. We would love to work with any partner that's building out technologies that can help. I definitely see the, you know, so I, I essentially call these hybrid systems. And I think that's initially, you know, what we're going to see in the crypto space and the blockchain space is we're going to see a lot of hybrid companies and a lot of hybrid solutions first, because that is the logical way to jump to a fully decentralized solution. So, I mean, there's definitely, you know, blockchain purists out there that just want everything to initially be decentralized from the get go. But when you, when you're dealing with you know legalities and you're dealing with risk-bearing entities and you're dealing with the legal system, you need a kind of a, a transition and you need a, a bridge, you need a you know a jumping point to be able to get from you know a fully centralized system to a decentralized system. And that middle ground is that hybrid system. I, um, I, I super agree. There's two things we're doing with that in mind. One, um, we were I think the twelfth member of the blockchain association, which is a a lobbying body that's out in DC now with a whole bunch of top tier folks, uh, Coinbase, Polychain, Digital Currency Group is one of our investors. You know, we're, we're, we're smaller than a lot of the other folks that are involved, but they like the mission that we have. And I think part of what they want is they want to be able to say, hey, government, look at what folks like this are doing to create real tangible value for human beings. Yeah. Blockchain can be good. And we very much believe that too. Now, the second thing, we are committed to full decentralization in the future. Uh, so long as it can be done within legal bounds. And I get really excited about what that could mean. And I'll just tell you for a sec. My wife's in massage school. We live up in Mill Valley. She argues with my parents every time they all get together on the appropriate medical interventions for our two little boys, one who's five and the other one who's about to turn two. And she believes in medical food and she believes in acupuncture and she believes in fact that these things should be insurable. There's no reason other than building this out and making sure we follow all the rules that she cannot create a pool with 99 of her friends who she might find by walking around Good Earth in Mill Valley or the local Whole Foods who agree with her about these things being interventions that should be insurable, which does a lot of good for the folks that are providing those types of care, obviously. And if they are right, and this is the part that excites me, because ultimately I'm about information and data and being able to follow the data. It drives me crazy. We don't know what works. Yeah. If they are right that these interventions keep them healthy, then the cost of being and joining in that pool should go down over time. And we should start to approach something that resembles a ground truth about what keeps us healthy as a species. And I get really excited about that. And yes, a huge part of this is having a chip on my shoulder and wanting my parents to be proud of me. I didn't become <laughs> a doctor. This is my opportunity to do something that's meaningful in, in that space. Um, but I cannot wait to see what the future holds. I, I can't remember what country or uh, what uh, medical system this was, but I remember being told about a medical system where the patients actually paid the doctors when they were healthy. Um, <laughs> so if you were sick, then it was on the doctors to then provide you with the care to get you healthy again so that you could afford to pay them. It was either the Japanese or the Chinese. I, I believe it was an Asian culture. I don't remember the exact details, but that's how healthcare used to be approached, you know, in other cultures and other systems like that. It used to basically almost be the reverse where the doctor would only get paid if you were healthy. And you're just talking about creating an incentive system that, you know, actually rewards people for getting proper care that keeps them healthy. Personally, I've had experience with acupuncture. I can tell you acupuncture, Chinese herbs, 
have had more of a positive impact on me than half the stuff I've experienced from the Western medical system. Yes. Have I given up on Western medicine? No. Um, you know, there's definitely medications, antibiotics, antimicrobials. There's some stuff in Western medicine that you just can't get from the Eastern side of things. At the same time, practicing yoga, meditating, these other basic things that you can do that, you know, are, are more beneficial to your health than just taking drugs and antidepressants and, you know, half these other solutions. I mean, I read a study the other day that uh, antidepressants can actually cause antibiotic resistance in certain forms of E. coli. Um, so imagine, and they literally put patients who have like irritable bowel syndrome on antidepressants. These are people who possibly have a parasite or an infection. They're being put on medications that might actually be making their infection antibiotic resistant. And you, you tell me, Trent, you tell me, why does it happen? Profit motive and a lack yes, of education? It's profit motive. It's both. But <laughs> yeah. lack of education is sure easier to justify when it comes out it's in profitable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and I, I, I will go a little bit on my non libertarian, non crypto anarchist, <laughs> good boy, you know, blue Democrat for the most part, but believe in the free market, high horse. The way to solve this is not limited to health insurance. I actually really believe that the great promise of blockchain technology to me is that humans who trust each other and form networks can beat these centralized companies. And by beat, I don't mean have better t-shirts. I mean, offer more value for less cost. I worked at Amazon for a while. I'm a big fan of things that are faster, cheaper, more convenient. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately the next bridge I think we need to cross as an industry. And I'm talking about crypto. It's, it's not enough anymore to say, okay, decentralization is a goal unto itself. We need to be moving towards a world where we can show that this creates benefit for human beings. Um, and I'm, I'm really motivated to be part of that, that trip. Yeah, and I definitely see the benefit. So, you, so I want to get a little bit deeper into this. So you're a, you're a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the other projects you've worked on? You claim to be a hacker yourself. So what, <laughs> what does that mean to you? <laughs> well, uh, those are two questions. I'll take the easy one first, which is uh, the other company that we started was actually, uh, it was a company called Reveal Chat. And the notion of Reveal Chat was that a lot of people, including me, have spent time in their lives when they were lonely. And it'd be a really great direct attack on loneliness if instead of just being lonely, you could pick up your phone, you could push a button, and you could be connected with someone who's relevant to you. And the way we set it up is you could talk to each other and it was just all text-based. And then if you found that you trusted each other, you wanted to reveal your name or your photo uh, or share pictures or whatever with each other, you could do that. But the whole notion was we shouldn't just be judged on our external appearances. We should be able to talk to each other and feel safe. And really where that came from, and a lot of the inspiration for Decent as well, my second year of business school, I was struck down with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a condition that's paralytic, that strips the myelin sheaths from around your nerves so they can't take signals from your brain. So I went from a fully functional MBA, waking up one morning, I step out of bed and I fall down. And my first thought was, did I drink a lot the night before? But I hadn't had a drop. Uh, I stood up again, I fell down again. I was fully paralyzed and then I was in intensive care for several weeks and rehab for several months after that in the Boston area. Being a patient is exceptionally lonely, among other things. And people start to look at you and all they see is somebody in a hospital bed or they see you as sick. You just wanna be seen as yourself. Even your friends, when they visit, they don't know what to say. So that was part of the catalyst for Reveal. But more deeply, I started to understand how healthcare was messed up and broken. And I have never told anyone this story before, but I'll give you a quick version here. 
something a little I tell a lot of people right now so <laughs> yeah well they can all hear it something heartbreaking for me is i'm in the hospital spalding rehab facility uh, outside in boston and people in the hospital get better at different rates mm. and you'd think that everybody would be excited to see people getting better and that's mostly true but i had befriended some folks in the hospital and uh I could tell that they were happy that I was getting better. They were a little older. They didn't have the quality of coverage that I had. And they were a little bit sad and bitter as well because it's hard to see another human being getting past something that you yourself might not get past. And I remember going, wow, I'm gonna miss my friends who are here. And I got a chance to go back and see them a couple of times. But what was really painful for me is, okay, by virtue of where I was born and by virtue of being part of a certain community or economic cast, or however you want to put it, I have this good insurance and my stuff is covered and I've got as good a shot as anybody to be able to move on and recover from this thing, which is intensely brutal. I had to learn to walk again, all that stuff. But I had friends that were there that their outcomes could have been better had they had the type of coverage and insurance that I had. And I remember they were happy because they liked me and wanted to see me have a good life, but they were a little sad because they're back there. Some of them may be back there still. Um, I only work on problems that getting worked up about them can make me cry. Uh, I'm a fairly emotional dude. I probably won't surprise you, but that became a bar for me because ultimately I think it's as hard to do big things as small ones in this world. And uh, I really care about trying to make an impact that helps human beings. Hey, yo, you got a great tech story you want to get published? Maybe something about bots taking over Twitter or how Bitcoin actually works? Or maybe you just have a story about how to build a great software, a great team. Get your expertise published on Hacker Noon. Email us, stories at hackernoon.com, and a real human will review your submission. There's a great quote from a, a poet called Rainier Maria Rilke, who said, the purpose of life is to be defeated by greater and greater things. <laughs> I think that decent is a life mission. If I'm doing this in 20 to 30 years, I'll be delighted by it. If we get knocked out because this country gets its act together and goes to single payer, I'll accept that. There are a lot of things that could happen, but to me, it's about working on a problem that's really worthy of my team's time. We've put together a really tremendous collection of human beings and I'm excited to see where it goes. You'd ask me also about uh, times that I was a hacker. And since I probably sound a little highfalutin right now, I'll tell you about a time that I broke the law in middle school. I was a savvy kid. And uh, still now, when, when, uh, when I see movies like Ocean's Eleven and they have the whole montage of the crime going down, I get kind of excited about it. I mean, it's hard not <laughs> to like those montages. The closest thing I ever got to that, I've been pretty, you know, kept my nose clean through, through most of life. But in middle school, I figured out the timing of the candy delivery to the little portable that we sat in in the back of our school. And I figured out that there was a little room across from the bathroom that if you timed it at the right time, the one guy who dropped off the candy would leave it there for about 20 minutes unguarded before the second guy came and put it in the machine. And so I created a multi-student operation to pilfer about, you know, $50 worth of candy three times or so from this, uh, this operation. And, you know, yes about this in the context of hacking. What is my definition of hacking? I don't have a great one and I'll relate it to a really good definition of entrepreneurship that I heard which is the pursuit of resources that are currently beyond your control. I think there's a tremendous relationship between that definition and the notion of hacking. Maybe you add it on a little bit, you know, a little bit closer to by any means necessary. <laughs> but for me, figuring out how the world works and figuring out where is there an opportunity 
you know, as a kid being a little more selfish to get candy, I did share the candy with my friends. And now (laughs) opportunities are we missing to build something that's different, that really helps people. Where have the existing systems left a little gap that again, I'll compare it to the vulnerabilities in the Death Star. And I think why many of us are working in crypto and certainly why I'm working in crypto is that I believe in networks more than I believe in companies. And all of the good things that I have in my life have come from trusting other individual human beings, not big corporations. I I think this model can be transformative. Uh, Health insurance is just where we start. I definitely appreciate the fact that, you know, you're focusing your time and your energy on solving a real problem. I never could have imagined, you know, now I'm in my 30s. So by the time I was in my 30s that I myself would even choose not to pay for health insurance because I was dealing with health problems. So this is very personal to me because I've been through this system. I've been through these experiences. I know exactly what you're talking about here. And it's very hard to communicate that, especially to the older generations, because they've never experienced this. You know, they've never had that moment where they couldn't get care. They've never had this system completely fail on them. Like it is failing for the younger generations. And I don't know what someone who's in high school, even younger, by the time they get into their 20s and 30s, if this is what's happening to me in my 30s, I can't imagine what's going to happen to them 20, 30 years from now. I, I, I really, I can, now. <laughs> I can hear your heart as you talk about this. And it's really, I, I am with you on it. And you know, one thing that happens and it drives me crazy. One thing that's absolutely going to happen is the older generation is going to yell at you. And I want to give a <laughs> shout out to millennial friends because I have a lot of millennial friends. It is bullshit that we push you into a world where the economic macro environment will not allow you to have nearly the uh, ease of success, let's call it what it is, or at least being able to take care of yourself, getting by if not getting ahead, that prior generations have had, and then at the same time castigate you and talk about how all you like to do is eat avocado toast. And how this connects to the mission of decent, I guess there's two pieces of it. One is deeply, for millennials, but for everybody else, I'm in this because I think freedom is the highest value. Mm -hmm personal human freedom. And I have so many friends that are not able to go do what they really want to do. Some of them who are exceptionally talented, friends who are novelists, friends who are actors, friends who are rappers that would really like to make that their thing, friends that are technical developers who'd like to go freelance, but they crave the security and certainty of some form of affordable insurance. And I actually think it's a real misgiving of our society that there's not a better safety net for the folks that want to go out and do it on their own. And so to me, that's about connecting and supporting human freedom. And the second thing is, I don't see the macro getting much better in the near term. In fact, I'm a little bit curious and scared to see what's coming even in the next five years. <laughs> it's and, a polite way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, the next, well, the, 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 here, I'll, I'll say a real polite thing. We need to solve these problems for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We human beings, this species, this group of people, hopefully using distributed ledger technologies, but shit, using anything we can get our hands on are going to need to solve these things for ourselves. We cannot expect profit-motivated centralized companies to solve these problems for us. Our government has had plenty of opportunities to come up with something that resembles closer to uh, a working version of healthcare that we get in, oh, let's call it 19 of the other 20 civilized civilizations of the world have better health outcomes than America, and they're not doing it. So I hope to contribute to part of this problem. And if I die on the sword of somebody else got there first or the government did it better, hell yes. I, I am motivated to try to help. Money is a tool. It's a number on a computer screen at this point. <laughs> or maybe on millions of computer screens around the world. Yes. Yeah. You know, we, we've reached a point as a society where it's like, 
you know, the, the argument in the past political arguments of, oh, where are you going to get the money for that? It's like, we're just going to type it into a computer. I mean, that's how they've been doing it for the last like 30 or 40 years anyways. Like, what do you mean, where are we going to get the money for that? I mean, of course, there's inflation and, you know, all kinds of regulatory concerns and whatever. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, the actual act is someone, you know, at the Federal Reserve going, okay, we need to uh, add how many trillions of dollars to this person's bank account? I mean, that's literally how we got out of the recession in 2008. They went into a computer, they typed some numbers on a screen, they hit enter, and they said, okay, there's money now. A non-transparent, um, tamper-friendly, centralized ledger. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it begs the question of, you know, what, what's really going on here? What's really happening when it comes to the financial incentives for pretty much everything for all corporate structures, even some of the stuff that's happening in the tech industry right now, they themselves have become the behemoths, you know, they were said to be fighting. That already happened to the healthcare industry, possibly before I was even born. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Trent, because I want to say, I, I'm afraid. And when this started to happen in startups, and I've been in the startup world, you know, longer than I've been in the crypto world, I started calling out my friends and saying, look, if we don't watch our behavior here, we are going to be bankers in sweatshirts. There will not be a difference in the public eye. And that has started to happen. And the thing that scares me a little bit, and I don't want to speak out of turn because many of the people who are in the crypto world know this world far better than me, but I'm seeing a lot of that same greed motive and a lot of that same opportunistic and, you know, hucksters flock like moths to a flame when there's any new financial opportunity. So obviously that's happening too. There is a beautiful spirit to many aspects of decentralization and I think we are at risk of uh, losing it by overly focusing on profit motive and the corruption that that brings. And so if we aren't careful, if we don't think about meaningful projects, and I, I would even argue if we don't think, do things kind of legally in the right way in service of actually delivering value to the people that don't know who Satoshi, well, nobody knows who Satoshi is, but I've never heard the name, then, then it's going to be hard for us to prove that this technology that is so representative of something symbolic for many of us is really worth the paper it's not printed on. So do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, it's been a pleasure to, to meet with you. I appreciate you sharing a little bit of your own journey. And I hope that as we build this out, we can help. Thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Nick at decent.com. That's D-E-C-E-N-T.com. I'm at Nick Soman at N-I-C-K-S-O-M-A-N on Twitter. Or you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, and I'd love to hear from folks who are excited about what we're doing or want to give you some critical feedback or um, otherwise want to help. I got one last question. How'd you get that domain name? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I spent $60,000 on it out of a home equity line of credit before any money came in the bank because I believed that in what we were going to go do. I, I could joke that I didn't tell my wife, but I actually did tell my wife, Anna. <laughs> and she saw the direction that we were headed and she said, go for it. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great name. I, you know, I love what you're working on. And I believe, you know, this is a, you know, definitely a path, you know, definitely a path that needs to be explored. Uh, because there is something severely wrong with our healthcare system, and it needs to be fixed. I, I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Trent. Thanks for coming on the show. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.